Today on Podcast by the Bay, current Menlo Park Mayor Peter Otaki. A couple of areas where certainly the city is managing right now is managing some unprecedented growth that's that's taking place, not just within Menlo Park, but but the impacts of growth on either side of us, whether it's in Palo Alto or Redwood City or some of our neighboring cities. And um, and on the certainly on the good side, it has created a lot of jobs. Um, Facebook is expanding in Menlo Park. Discussing all things Menlo Park and his vision for the future to come. Definitely appreciate Facebook's collaboration. Um, the Dumbarton Rail is a perfect example of that. That is potentially um, a multi-billion dollar uh, cost to revive Dumbarton Rail, which connects would connect BART in the East Bay over to the Redwood City Caltrain Station, um, and it would go through Menlo Park. Um, certainly, uh, it would alleviate a lot of traffic congestion. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading the show. And we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today we're going to get back to our Mayor on the Peninsula series, where we feature uh, a, a different mayor on a peninsula town. And so today we're going to feature Peter Otaki from the town and the city of Menlo Park. And so, Patrick, you got to meet Peter. You spoke with him. You go. To, you went down to City Hall. Can you tell us a little bit about Menlo Park and a little bit about Peter? Well, you know, you got to go down to Menlo Park. It's got to be one of the most beautiful City Hall centers. They've got a kind of a lake out there with a lot of birds, a lot of grass area. Uh, <clears throat> it's not too far off El Camino. Um, Peter uh, grew up in Menlo Park, and he was attended uh, La Entrada Middle School and also Woodside High School. He graduated with a bachelor's in economics, magnum cum laude from Harvard University. He has an MBA from Stanford University's Grad School of Business. Peter has a wife and three kids. Uh, he was elected to the Menlo City Council in 2010, and in 2013, he additionally served as mayor. Uh, it was a great opportunity to interview him. It was a really warm day, uh, and uh, Peter's a real busy guy. Um, one of the key things with uh, him on the council is he helped with a major deficit. Peter uh, helped balance Menlo Park's budget by paving down an unfunded pension liability that was costing about 800 k a year. 
saving taxpayers $3.6 million in the interest, interest expense. We have to quantify that there's only two cities that I've interviewed with the mayors that really can fund their pensions, and that is Woodside and Portola Valley. Peter worked to attract uh, startup and incubators and restaurants downtown and convinced Facebook to establish a community that benefits Menlo Park's residents. In addition, Peter worked with the State Assembly Rich Gordon to introduce legislation, AB 1690. He gives cities more flexibility in implementing zoning that has passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. I also talked to him about Senator Weiner's bill, which was it that it has gone down to defeat, but Senator Weiner will go back. And that was the 827. And this had to do with uh, the state coming down and trying to pass bills to dictate to cities on how much housing they need to build. Menlo Park, for your own edification, is about the same population as Foster City. It probably doesn't have quite as much square footage as Foster City, but it has a population of about the same. They're also very connected to the water, too. Um, Until recently, Peter was an executive director for the California Resilience Alliance, a nonprofit organization that brings business and government together and improve disaster planning and response statewide. So he's got a diverse background for safety. He's He's concerned about the environment. I, I, I discussed to him about environmental impact reports, which is a passion of most of the mayors on the peninsula. As you know, we've got this continuous build out, uh, build out in housing and stuff. They are building a lot of senior projects. Uh, they, they're also like a lot of towns. They don't necessarily have a requirement of a percentage below market houses, but they do have it. Uh, they do a project by project, and that kind of makes sense. They don't want to be dictated to that they have to build 20% or 15% each thing. Uh, his heart's in the right place. Uh, I, again, we, we talked about transportation issues. We talked about the ferry possibility connection. Uh, he's a very engaged, engaged person in the community. I was honored to interview him. I hope our listeners really like to listen to him. Peter gave me more than 30 minutes. He gave me 48 minutes. So whatever it was, I was very honored to interview Peter Otaki. Peter shared also a little bit about his his uh, heritage, uh, which is Japanese. And he also talked about how he went back to Japan and how he prepared himself. I mentioned to him about how I had the honor of view, interviewing Steve Okamoto. Steve Okamoto is, uh, was a council person in Foster City, and he also was very engaged in, in working on a project for a dedication on Tamferan Shopping Center about the internment of the Japanese. His parents were interned in uh, the Tamferan Shopping Center. So I don't want to digress too much, but I want you to listen to Peter Otaki. I, it was an honor to interview him. I thank you, Peter. Sounds good. And we look forward to hearing the Peter interview, and we hope everyone enjoys it. So with that, if you have any questions, you have any feedback about Podcast by the Bay, please reach out to us at our uh, email, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, at podcastbythebay as our handle, and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And you can listen to any of the episodes, whether it's the Peninsula Mayor Series, whether it's the local Foster City issues, whether it's the state senator issues. You can listen to any of them 24 hours a day on any podcast site, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. We're there. You can just search under Podcast by the Bay. You'll find us. And you can also go to our website, podcastbythebay.com. has all the shows as well. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Peter Otaki interview and 
We'll look forward to seeing you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. So signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It is Friday and it's, it's August 3rd. And we have the honor of interviewing Peter Otaki. He's the mayor of Menlo Park. Um, it, why don't you introduce yourself? You've got a little bit of background. You um, went to school in Menlo Park. Uh, you went to Woodside High School. Um, you got a bachelor's degree and with cum, magnum cum laude at Harvard University and an MBA from Stanford University. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. Why don't you give us a little background, family background, if you like, and uh, how did you get into politics, of all things? And I think I my little search of you, you've been at least since 2010 active in some kind of political arena. Correct. That's, in fact, uh, a little bit before that. So first of all, thank you, Patrick, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Um, uh, yes, I grew up in Menlo Park and then went to the East Coast for a few years, both for my undergraduate degree and worked in New York a bit, uh, came back out, um, got my business degree and uh, worked in San Francisco and um, was mostly in the um, finance world at that time. And I worked, uh, uh, in fact, was the CFO of a startup company um, up in Marin. And um, uh, and then uh, in 2005, um, decided to get involved. My uh, We uh, moved back to Menlo Park by that point, and I started to get more involved in... Uh, in uh, learning more about government, basically. Um, I started work, working for a nonprofit at the time that was bringing business and government together around disaster preparedness and disaster planning. Um, and that was a way that uh, I thought I could use some of my strategic relationship skills and build relationships uh, for coordination around uh, around uh, disaster response, and then that led me to run for the Menlo Park Fire District Board of Directors. That was in 2007. Um, and so I served on the Fire District Board for three years until 2010 when uh, I decided to run for uh, Menlo Park City Council here. and. Um, I, and uh, the more I got involved with government, the more I felt that I could contribute. And uh, there are a couple of different skills that I think I bring uh, to uh, to being a council member. Um, one is uh, I'm very good at building relationships and collaboration and coming up with solutions that sometimes are out of the box that that try to um, get things done and get get things done in a way that that at least we can benefit as many people as we can and and create some um, good bipartisan collaboration on, on is there projects. Any term limitations in in Menlo Park. Currently, there is not. But one of the things we will have on the ballot this fall uh, will include a three-term limit, uh, and each of our terms are four years. Um, the uh, and so that will be up to the voters. We're going to recommend that that voters uh, consider that and uh, um, 
And then, um, oh, and before I forget, the other skill that I bring is the financial background. So um, I'm pretty good at picking apart a budget every year and making sure that we're you know, financially and fiscally responsible and sustainable. And, uh, and I try really hard to make sure we can um, pay for the infrastructure improvements that, you know, we know uh, – well, the city needs. Well, I want to congratulate you. I, I kind of read a little bit about you that you, when the city of Menlo Park, you came into some deficit problems, and uh, it, what I it was costing something like eight hundred k a year, and you you, you somehow saved them three point six million. What year was that? Yeah. So this literally was my first year on the city council in twenty eleven. And uh, the uh, Menlo Park at that time had what was called a structural deficit that they just couldn't get out of the the deficit where expenses were about 800000 more than, than the tax revenue coming in. Um, one of the issues is that the um, CalPERS, the pension program, um, was charging Menlo Park for some of its retroactive um, increase in pension benefits, and uh, and that was in effect uh, uh, kind of like you know you had a having a credit card bill that was that was basically charging a seven and a quarter uh, percent interest when uh, the city's reserves were. Um, only earning a half percent interest, and it just made sense for us to pay off the unfunded pension liability. Can, can I kind of so, extract that for a minute? Because yeah. um, so far, most of the cities that I've interviewed, there's only two cities that told me that they could pay their pensions right now. And those two cities that I've spoken to were Portola Valley and Woodside. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are the only two cities. So is Menlo Park in a better position, or are they, are they out of the thing? Because most of the cities um, on the peninsula, from what I understand, can't fund their pensions. Right, right. Um, Menlo Park is in a very, very strong position relative to the other cities um, for a couple of key reasons. Um, one is the previous city council, before I joined, they paid uh, the what's called OPEB, the uh, post-retirement uh, medical benefits. They put put $10 million into a trust and therefore paid that liability ahead of time. Um, they also negotiated, Menlo Park negotiated with all of the four uh, bargaining units, all of the, the four unions for the city, some form of cost sharing with the unions where, where employees share some of the burden of increased pension rates. So, um, uh, so that has helped to make sure that, um, that we have a, a more sustainable um, pension program in Menlo Park. In 2010, we also had uh, the passage of Measure L, which installed a, uh, a more moderate, uh, less generous um, uh, pension plan. Uh, that was passed by voters by about 60%. And then in 2011... Uh, one of the first things I did on the council was to pay down some of the uh, this unfunded liability for our police uh, department and saved us about 3.6 million in interest, 
which was roughly about that same 800000 a year. And that's what closed well, the budget. Well, congratulations. I, so. I think a lot of the different cities are going to enjoy to hear your interview and maybe your suggestions on working on the economics. And so well, congratulations on that. Wanted to go back just to help the Thank audience you. out there. Tell them how the mayor is elected. So, the, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we have five city council members. Um, each of us uh, have uh, are elected by, by the public for... Uh, um, four-year terms and on the council we then each year select among the five of us a mayor and vice mayor we usually do that in December and uh, um, and we have a rotation policy that essentially ensures that every council member will get a turn as as mayor um, and uh, um, and while and we've generally followed that for the last several years. Well, congratulations on that. I happen to live in a city that that doesn't always happen. <laughs> um, and I know you're aware of the only other city that elects the mayor, and that is San Bruno. San Bruno, and with interviewing uh, Rico, had a really good discussion. He explained to me that I guess somebody had been overlooked uh, for mayor. So they put some legislation in that it was a, they had to run a general public and it's an elected office and it's a two-year term. Right. Um, but you're right, most of the uh, mayors are figureheads uh, and, and they're all trying to work together as a team sure. in, the, in the best way they can. Sure, absolutely. Um, you've been in, uh, in uh, city government for a while, so and, and especially with the, um, uh, the city of Menlo Park. Besides the deficit stuff that you've worked on, is there anything else that you're really proud of uh, that you, you think that you've made a, a world of difference? Well, perhaps the thing that I'm most proud of is I believe I've set a very collaborative problem-solving tone on the council um, that um, I feel quite proud that we have a, um, a good council that we work together well. Um, we don't always agree on everything, but we don't take things personally. And everyone on the council prepares well, um, reads the staff reports, has good questions of staff. We hash it out during our agenda, um, I, and then we take a vote on it. And, and often we are able to form compromises. We're able to, to create some sort of policy solution that, that gets uh, certainly a majority, if not the full council, on board with, with these decisions. Um, and we vote on it, and then we're off to the next item. We don't belabor the point. We don't get personal. We don't. <laughs> well, congratulations and, on that. I wish that happened and I in think, all councils. And but, I think we yeah. have become far more productive in getting things done um, than than I think previous councils. I can't say for regarding other cities, but I, I'm certainly proud of the fact that I think we're quite uh, productive. Um, now. The key, from a policy standpoint, um, there's a couple of areas where certainly the city is managing right now, is managing some unprecedented growth that's that's taking place, not just within Menlo Park, but, but the impacts of growth on either side of us, whether it's in Palo Alto or Redwood City or some of our neighboring cities. And... Um, 
and on the certainly on the good side, it has created a lot of jobs. Um, Facebook is expanding in Menlo Park. Um, we're very much in uh, the center of um, this Silicon Valley expansion. Uh, there's a lot of uh, economic activity, uh, projects, and let's proposals. Take your, let's take your word that you said. It's a kind of a powerful collaborate. I know Facebook is working diligently with, with the county on trying to to work with the old Dumbarton Bridge and try to see if we can revise that. Absolutely. Um, what's your opinion of those collaborations that are happening with Facebook and Google? And it seems to be orientated in two different directions. One is housing and one is transportation. Yes, absolutely. So. And I think uh, that's exactly right. So first of all, um, I'm very much um, in favor of public-private partnerships. The idea of a major employer such as Facebook working with the county to help address um, one of our, or, or several of our key needs, I think makes a, a lot of sense and uh, and definitely appreciate Facebook's collaboration. Um, the Dumbarton Rail is a perfect example of that. That is potentially um, a multi-billion dollar uh, cost to revive Dumbarton Rail, which connects would connect BART in the East Bay over to the Redwood City Caltrain Station, um, and it would go through Menlo Park. Um, certainly, uh, it would alleviate a lot of traffic congestion that takes place in that whole 101 Dumbarton Bayfront Willow Road connection if we can get people to use a mass, a convenient mass transit connection, um, and that it, that that doesn't just um, benefit Menlo Park; it also benefits. Uh, all the employees in the East Bay that work in Redwood City and Palo Alto and Mountain View, they all come over on on the Dumbarton Bridge. So it, it would benefit the entire Mid-Peninsula well, if we I could get that to connected. I want you to be encouraged to listen to a city council person I interviewed. And you may know him. His name is Dave Tanner. He was on Woodside. He's been on the council for many years. Dave, had, Dave has a mission, and his mission is out there in the Tamfran Shopping Center, where eventually it's going to be leveled, that he wants to put a rapid transit system, and it's kind of like a monorail system, which would hook all those cities where we have all those people coming in from the, from the Martinez, the Stockton, the Fresno. And the, the idea is that every 20 minutes or every 28 minutes it would land in a city, which in his opinion, would, would get a, a substantial people off of the road. So I'd encourage you to look at it. He's got, and we, we also have on our, on our website, uh, and we're not necessarily endorsing anything in podcast, by the way. We want <laughs> to make that clear to our audience that you should look at it. It's a very innovative idea. I would like to do that, definitely. You know? I definitely... Um, uh, I definitely am very interested in other innovative um, mass transit solutions that would help to re reduce the traffic congestion that we're all facing in the Mid-Peninsula. Well, There's here's no one, question, late, the so. latest, and it's right. out of Foster City. There's a man from Australia that's working on getting a ferry system, which is kind of more of a hovercraft, because remember, the ferries needed a lot of dredging and stuff like that. So there is some working out there, the, the cities, surrounding cities, and um, Probably Menlo Park will be part of that suggestion and Redwood Shores. And they want to get that to go all the way down to the San Francisco Bay Area. So I think that that's going to happen. 
I think it's going to happen. But one of the things that we like at Podcast by the Bay, and maybe you only have six months left on your term, but you're, you're still going to be on the council, right? Well, I'm up for re-election, up for re-election. Uh, this November. and uh, But certainly I'm on the council through the end of the year, and uh, and we'll see how the election goes. But uh, but I'm certainly enjoying it and, uh, and looking forward to uh, hopefully another four-year term. So. Well, I hope so. We, we mm-hmm. wish you, because your background is very extensive, that you dedicate a lot of time to the community. And obviously you're saving the city of Menlo Park a lot of money. Where I was kind of going with that is I'd like to see the collaboration of surrounding cities together, a solution, whether that might be a commuter lane that works better for Menlo Park and Redwood City or whatever it may be. So in your council meetings, try to bring up some suggestions where you could work as a team to come up with with uh, ideas. I agree. Um, I'll just give you a quick example of that where we are – we have – reached out to our neighboring cities about Caltrain grade separations and what does that look like uh, what does that what does that mean um, we're um, uh, we just recently were studying doing one grade separation which is to take Ravenswood Avenue and go underneath uh, underneath the Caltrain tracks that is uh, that's our busiest intersection and uh, an east-west connection and makes a lot of sense, um, particularly as Caltrain goes to electrification and improves its and increases its service. Um, we want to be able to make sure that the crosstown traffic flows. Um, having said that, we've also been reaching out to our neighboring cities about even potentially tunneling, which is tremendously expensive it may or may not be fiscally you know viable to do it but from the standpoint of of making sure we're coordinating with our neighbors on on this and uh, um, and we'll see what happens but I think your point is exactly right that um, particularly when it comes to traffic congestion and whether it's mass transit or other transportation solutions it's really important to work on a regional, um, uh, approach and uh, and so certainly um, that's a good example of what you're talking about. Well, you know, we had the opportunity at podcast to interview Carl Gardino on mm-hmm. Regional Measure 3 which passed and we interviewed him prior to that and obviously it was successful uh, and I think that's what you're kind of going with the Caltrain and seeing how far that train system I think that's a, what is it, a $9 billion or uh, improvement. It's it's a phenomenal amount of of, uh, of improvements well, for transportation. So RM three. Um, one of the key things we we liked about RM three is that it provides a hundred and fifty million, I believe, toward uh, Dumbarton Rail, and that's a very important part of the uh, the funding effort, um, and uh, and certainly gets us started to to reactivating the Dumbarton rail line. So that was that was certainly key to us. Uh, there's some funding in there for um, for some of these grade separations. Each grade separation can be 140 million. So if you're talking about several up and down just in San Mateo County, you're absolutely right. It gets over. Uh, multi-billion dollars over a period of a decade to be able to fund that and um, and it's uh, and San Mateo County helps to uh, to uh, essentially allocate those those funds um, to each of the cities 
Um, and it's it's certainly uh, and we wanted to make sure we got our uh, Ravenswood grade separation into the queue, so to speak, to make sure that we would be eligible for for funding at least one grade separation in Menlo Parks. We also at Podcast had Seamus Murphy on. Seamus Murphy uh, is the uh, kind of the communication director for Caltrans and uh, all the transit BART and everything else. A um, couple couple things in the interview and, and were surprising but not surprising to me. And, and um, he said Sam Trams um, is basically for the disabled, the senior, and the retired. Um, and he's probably right. And that's why their ridership is down. Because um, obviously people at Facebook and Google would rather have a nice uh, air-conditioned bus and Wi-Fi and uh, maybe breakfast or a sandwich. Um, but what I want to talk about is the whole system, uh, which means you're talking about your BART, your SAMFAM, your Caltrain. Um, and this is your opinion. I've asked most of the mayors. Um, we obviously, these run independently of each other. They're all fighting for ridership. They're all fighting for federal and state dollars. Do you think that we're long overdue for a transit district, something where we collaborate? The only thing we seem to be proud of on the peninsula is that we have a clipper card. <laughs> and I think... I, I, um, I've gone to several of the conferences on the transportation, and I, it, it is a good majority of the mayors that I've interviewed say we need to do something, and they, they think maybe a regional transit district where we can collaborate and have one, a better system. What's your opinion? Yeah, I think um, certainly we have too many different transportation and transit districts in the bay area but i will and and it would be ideal to consolidate there's there's no question um we do have one major consolidated regional funding source which is the metropolitan transportation commission the mtc a lot of transportation funding goes goes through mtc and in many ways, they have become a, a pretty key funding um, source of allocation. And I have to say that I'm not always pleased with, you know, having all that control in a, in a central regional source. So there's no question I like the idea of regional planning, um, but, um, but I also think there's some, some benefits when uh, – we're able to, at a local level, address some of our transportation needs at the at the sort of local control side. So, I, to give you an example, absolutely right. Um, you know, I think transportation involves two things. One is increased capacity north south. So, whether that's Caltrain um, going to electrification, having more ridership, more frequent trains. Um, as well as east-west, which is, for example, Dumbarton Rail and connecting with, with so that those mass transit options, increasing capacity, that makes, I think, uh, a lot of very important sense. But the, the, the biggest issue I think we're having is that last-mile connection, which is between um, the train station and where people live or between the train station and where they work. So... This is where we're starting to, and you're starting to see this countywide, more of these um, uh, uh, um, 
these transportation associations uh, that, but they're essentially shuttle buses, right? So the the Menlo Park runs some shuttle buses that go uh, that tie whether it's uh, some of our job centers over um, on the uh, on, on the east side uh, in our um, industrial areas, connect to or to take. Uh, take residents uh, on midday shopping, uh, um, uh, different shopping routes, um, we're starting to see more and more of those pop up as a way of handling this last mile issue. Um, And I see that becoming more and more prevalent than uh, as, uh, particularly, there's even potentially the autonomous driving shuttle bus that connects and meets Caltrain when it arrives at the Menlo Park station and gets people to and routes routes uh, people back to where they live or to where they work. Well, I think we, and, I think we I need to pass the cities that. more on the back because I know the city of Foster City, I mean, does that same thing. Uh, they're collaborating with Visa or Gilead's. Uh, and the collaborations out there, and I'm glad to see on those buses it's saying, you know, we're 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 saving 120 cars on the road, or whatever that's that right. may be. So I think that's exciting. That's right. And the companies are helping to pay for those Absolutely. too. So it's a it's again a very good example where there's cost sharing. It's not on the burden of you know, it's uh, not just on the burden of of the cities or the or the uh, taxpayers. It's also uh, shared with the with the employers that that benefit. Um, as well as you know the residents who are using it, so I okay. think okay. I want to go sense. another little direction, which is coordination, and, and, and I, I picked the transportation because that's number one to complain. Number two Correct. complaint, and before I, we get into discussion, how many people that work um, for the city of, of Menlo Park live in Menlo Park? There is um, a uh, a diminishing number that are able to um, even afford to live in Menlo Park now because our housing prices have have, have become so expensive. Um, it's very difficult uh, for particularly new employees or younger employees to live in Menlo Park. So many of them um, live um, in the East Bay. They live up in San Francisco. They live down in San Jose, and they commute. We provide, uh, we provide Clipper and and, uh, and Caltrain passes, and we certainly try and encourage and, and make it easier for them to commute. Um, the uh, but uh, but in fact, recently we we have lost many of those employees when they find an opportunity uh, uh, with a, another city that's closer to where they live. Um, unfortunately, we tend to lose employees um, to those those cities, and it's hard to argue with you know with uh, um, an alternative that for them is. Uh, 15 minutes commute versus the current hour commute that they have to f- that they're that they're undertaking to get from those areas to Menlo Park right now. So there's no question that's that's a big. Well, issue. you know, there's a couple new buzzwords out there, and they they have different meaning. Now, first of all, I wanted to ask on your first time home buyers, um, are you putting your funds with Heart, and is Heart managing your your money for your first time home buyers, um, or or is the city doing that? Well, so we have a couple of different programs. Um, so we have um, 
below market rate um, uh, housing funds that we use both for construction of new uh, affordable housing units, uh, but also go toward programs such as uh, first-time buyers, uh, uh, loan assistance. Um, that's actually being managed through through Palo Alto. Uh, Palo Alto's got a housing trust that that um, helps to manage that for us. But uh, um, but we also participate with Heart um, uh, in in other programs. Um, we also just built um, through the BMR funds. We built uh, senior housing on Willow Road, uh, Sequoia Bell Haven, beautiful new complex. Uh, for seniors, uh, and I believe that's close to 90 units of uh, housing for seniors. That's after a year ago uh, opened 26 units of housing in uh, at the VA facility uh, for primarily for vets, um, and that uh, that was another um, where we used three million of our uh, BMR housing. Uh, there's also affordable housing on Willow that is in uh, working with Midpen Housing uh, on taking an existing affordable housing site, but it's it's circa 1950s, 60s, and building new, really uh, um, uh, new uh, housing units there. Um, so a lot of what we're trying to do is not just the assistance, but also looking at generating new housing. Do you, housing do you have in your uh, city any percentage, whether it's 15% or 20% 15. 15%. Well, congratulations. Yep. Every yep. city is different. Yep. Um, I'm in a unique city. They do 20%, mm -hmm. um, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Now, in Menlo Park, can I assume that we're still seeing more building high-end rentals? Um, um, or are we seeing... New housing? Are we seeing condos? Are we are we just seeing? We're seeing a little bit on the peninsula that they're building high end apartments because of the young people that are coming in. They probably can afford the rent, but they probably couldn't afford to buy the house. Yes. So, uh, so first of all, let me mention that we have a fifteen percent, but with a for a bonus threshold of twenty percent. So there's an incentive that it could go up to up to higher than twenty percent, particularly in that in the area uh, what we call the Connect Menlo area, the Bayfront area, which where we're seeing a lot of new housing uh, units. Um, we went through a two year process uh, in updating our general plan where we um, uh, have zoned up to 4,500 additional apartment units in that area that will be close to our employment centers, whether whether it's Facebook and as well as the life sciences companies out there. And you're absolutely right; they're targeted at um, uh, younger. Um, we call it more workforce housing. They're not exactly high end, but they're. Um, uh, they're really targeted at the sort of middle market, um, but uh, and um, and of those, you know, fifteen percent have to be affordable um, and have to be part of the uh, below market program. But um, over the coming, uh, let's see, we have about a thousand units that just came online um, that were built uh, previous to this to this. Uh, and uh, over near Marsh Road, and that's starting to alleviate. The interesting thing, the interesting fact is, prior to the to these uh, apartments coming along, the last 
apartment complex that was built in Menlo Park was in the 1970s in wow. Sharon Heights. Wow, that, that's something else. I yeah. think for our audience, we have to realize that you guys are only about 17.4 square miles, and your population is very similar to the town I'm in. You're at around 33,000, 34,000. Right. So, so you that's kind right. of have an idea, and I heard 47.9% of it is water. That's right. right. So you got a high percentage. <laughs> so for our audience out there, and he doesn't, doesn't realize where water is pretty predominant in uh, Menlo Park. Um, I wanted to go back onto a new buzzword that's going around. I hear it in Foster City because we have a project. Cirrus Region was initially zoned retail and commercial. Uh, the developer, Cirrus Region, has come back to the city council, and it, it seems that it's got the nod almost. But the, the relationship is to build workforce housing. Uh, let's just say we have 60, 70 units. There's going to be about 12 to 20 workforce housing. Now, the city's still trying to work on that definition of workforce housing, you know, whether it's first responders, and we're using the word first responders, only because we know that the police and fire for the last 20 or 30 years, uh, for their own reasons, uh, with being uh, four days on, three days off, or whatever it is, they're living in another area. So what do you think of that workforce housing? Because we are have a problem with tackling the teachers, the bankers, the chiropractors, all the people that seem to be exiting out of the Bay Area. So any creative idea on that, uh, Peter? Yes. So when we look at workforce housing, we often, or at least I certainly consider workforce housing as really targeted at those between the ages coming right out of college and up till early 30s. So we're talking about, in my opinion, one and two bedroom apartments uh, at 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 most, um, and really targeted at those. And so, you know, one of the interesting things is that um, from a demographic and census basis in Menlo Park, and, and we're not alone, many of the cities are like that, you see a gap in, in age between essentially 18 when kids go off to, to college, um, and then uh, in the mid-30s, people start coming back because most of our cities have been historically single-family homes. And given how expensive single-family homes are now, uh, it means that people really don't get back into uh, in, in these single-family homes until their mid-30s. But the fact of the matter is we haven't had the housing in that gap between the you know, sort of first job out of college and being able to, to do that. Now, a lot of those um, uh, young uh, millennials, you know, often though they're currently living in San Francisco, and that just adds to this commute problem, right? If they're working at Facebook, but they're commuting in, but they live in San Francisco, well, that's X number of buses that, that have to do that and bring them back and forth. So what we're trying to do is to create a lot of workforce housing that really is targeted to those you know, younger couples that, that are just starting out. And, and, and then among that, we have this 15% set aside, and that's really targeted particularly to help our teachers, to, to help those that are displaced, um, and uh, and also to you know help those that are in, for example, uh, service industries or sectors that they just can't afford the the market. At least there's 15 percent there to to help address. And it's not a perfect solution by any means, but it's a way that we're able to actually 
uh, still enable the units to get billed, but at least have a, a, as much of a set-aside as, as we can to help address that. Recently, and we just went live with it, is the interview with Senator Wiener. And Senator Wiener, at that time, I was just starting out some of my interviews with the mayors, and the uh, initiative was 827. Um, and Senator Wiener, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, is still trying to work out something on that. What's your opinion of, of a measure that, that would basically tell each city that they have to build so much housing? And Senator Weiner uh, expressed to me, and I tried to quantify, how much housing do we need? Now, his figure gave me is 3.5 million houses, or an average of 100,000 houses a year needs to be built for a long time to be able to catch up to our needs. Now, we don't know, quantify, I couldn't figure out or extract or he couldn't, how many are that workforce housing, how much is that subsidized housing, how much is that senior citizen. So so even though we bring this figure out uh, and we say we need so much housing, what's your opinion on it? Well, I, while I do think we need more housing, so the, the one of the key statistics recently um, that has been talked about San Mateo County, between 2010-2015, created 50,000 new jobs. Um, uh, in that same time period, only 4,000 new housing units in the entire county. Now, of course, we're coming out of recession. We get into now a boom, and uh, and it takes time for housing to to develop. But it but that's indicative. It wasn't just San Mateo County. That's been true around the Bay Area. So the uh, uh, so uh, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, Carl Gardino's uh, group, I think they released statistics that Bay Area-wide, it was something like for every six jobs that have been created, only one housing unit. So there's no question that we do have a severe housing gap. Having said that, something that I, I always... Um, get very nervous when there is a state imposition that you have to build housing um, this way in this place and only uh, without any I don't like that sort of top-down mandates that make it difficult for uh, local cities to be able to manage the growth in a way that still retains the character, the residential character of our of our cities. So I'll give you an example: um, the housing element, the infamous housing element that's been in place that the state requires uh, a bag to allocate housing units per each city. Well, the state housing element used to have a very restrictive that uh, that you could that a high density housing um, project could only be for housing, you couldn't have any retail on the first floor. Uh, you couldn't have any amenities and things that uh, that uh, uh, and otherwise it wouldn't count toward your your RENA numbers, your regional housing needs allocation numbers. Um, we worked, in fact, I, I had worked with uh, Menlo Park, our staff and myself worked with uh, then uh, uh, State Assemblyman uh, Rich uh, um, uh, Gordon. Rich Gordon, thank yeah. you. Uh, been a few years, but uh, this goes back five years, and we worked with him to modify the legislation so now you can do up to 50% mixed use 
so that we can can do a, a grocery store, we can do some retail, uh, and and have it um, a much better fit. Um, so I always get worried that you know a one size fits all solution doesn't doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense for every city, and we need to have the we we I think it's. Uh, good for us to have goals in housing, but I think we need to have the at the local level the flexibility to make sure. Well, Peter, that I want to let you us. know that the majority of the mayors agree with you. I don't think we had anybody that would disagree with yeah. that. So we, we need to, and also we have to, for our audience, have to talk about what happened in the last recession. All that redevelopment money went away, um, and that kind of strapped the cities for expansion and stuff like that, too. What I want to hit on now is a little more of a creative idea. Back in that recession that you were talking about, I think it was around 2008, 2010, that we had, I remember myself personally that the San Mateo County was thinking of selling some of their land off, whether it was a law library or whether it was a bank near Chase. But I want to stretch your mind for a little bit and, and say that there's a lot of property in the state and county and city that are surplus land that are owned by the state and the county. Uh, they happen to be a lot of them, unincorporated areas. We haven't identified them yet. Um, if we really want to tackle the problem, would it make sense to you that we look towards the corridor transportation areas, that we call upon the state if we have property that we're underutilizing, to use that for housing, workforce housing? Um, I, I don't know what where exactly those locations are, but I know there are locations. I have approached him. I, I talked to a few mayors, and they thought it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, any opinion? Yeah, and certainly, um, to the extent that there is um, surplus land, we unfortunately don't don't have um, much surplus land. In fact, I don't think we have anything that we'd call surplus land uh, that the city owns. Um, the uh, so if there is surplus land. Um, uh, I think certainly housing is a very high priority for that. I would also add to that that potentially that would also be um, well utilized for education for school schools because what we're now seeing is as we're building housing is the need to increase our school the number of schools, whether it's at the elementary or at the middle school, high school, or even the community college level. And um, uh, and that we're now experiencing is and and the hardest part for many of these uh, school districts they've already maxed out on their current capacity and their current uh, the current land that they have, and so now the question will be so trying to find that right use for that surplus land. Um, I think housing and education are probably the the two that. that well, make I think the you're right sense. on the target on that. I know Sam Bruno's having a couple of schools that'll be closing, and those schools now would be targeted for housing as a possibility, whether it's uh, workforce housing. One of the successes that we've seen on the peninsula, and I'm going to use Stanford University first, is campus housing, um, and um, we're seeing that you had it at Kenyatta College. You have it at the College of San Mateo. What's your opinion of campus housing? Do you, th- do you think it uh, provides, I mean, it appears from what I've heard, all of those ones I just mentioned are successful. Yeah, certainly to the extent that uh, those 
those entities are able to, um, the education institutions are able to create housing for both, not just students, but also faculty, I think that's great because that certainly helps, um, uh, helps again to, uh, to create convenient housing close to the um, institution and to the extent they've got the space to be able to do it and um, I think that's certainly um, um, ideal. I've seen that both with Kenyatta College and CSM. Stanford currently has been um, working hard to get student housing up to the level um, uh, so they've built graduate uh, housing recently to finally get to, to most being able to accommodate most of their students on campus. The next phase of their, in fact, they just uh, are looking at an amended general use plan, which looks at more faculty housing on campus. And I think that uh, that that's definitely would be, certainly uh, we welcome, because right now we have um, faculty housing that's where Stanford is um, either buying or leasing uh, units, uh, housing units in Menlo Park, for example, and they take a property tax exemption for that. So we don't get property taxes off of it. Um, the, uh, and yet there, there's the need for, you know, the, the, for students to go to uh, the schooling and so the school districts don't, don't get the property taxes to support those students. So certainly to the extent they can be able to do that on campus, that benefits um, by not having to have those faculty compete with all the other um, folks that need housing. I want to so, go back a little bit on the transportation issue and coordinate that with the housing. Um, most the state and federal government give tax credits uh, to developers to develop near a railroad, corridor, transportation. I think that's wonderful. The only thing that, that grapples with me and bothers me dearly, and I've asked as many uh, legislative people, that there is no study that indicates building near corridor transportation places encourages or that people take public transportation. And the only small example I'm going to say from an architectural design thing is we're still putting two car garages there. Right. right. So how do we do you, are you aware of anything indicating I would I would think that some people take public transportation, but I don't think there's any guarantee that if if we if we continue on that method that we're actually getting them out of their cars. So I did see one study and I'll be happy to uh, to dig it out and and send it to you. Um, and I'm trying to remember whether it was an MTC or or a bag study, but they they came up with the statistic that if the housing or job is within a half a mile of a train station of a mass, uh, particularly a um, yeah, particularly a train station, I think, uh, that there was a 25% usage of the train station, in other words, 25% connect rate at a minimum. Um, and that was average, that was uh, on average. I think we've seen at, or at least I had heard that, for example, um, Bay Meadows has a higher uh, percentage. Um, I know that um, Stanford has close to a... Uh, 40 to 50 percent um, uh, uh, usage of, of 
of shuttles and, and transit as opposed to for their employees. Um, and so, uh, and they're fairly close to the, for example, the Palo Alto Caltrain station. So they get their shuttle buses to get uh, get their employees from campus and give give them go passes. So there are ways um, to get that connect rate higher, uh, that commute rate essentially uh, higher. Uh, to use mass transit. Well, I think that line bike that we're seeing on the peninsula. Do you have do you have a bike system called like the line bike that we have? We have that in uh, Foster City and San Mateo, and, and they're connecting with um, Uber, from what I understand, or Uber put some money into it. And you know, you're, it's 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 interesting to see a bike kind of put on somebody's lawn or somebody's corner, but um, they're obviously theft proof, and uh, and it seems a success. And I think it probably. Help getting people to that train station. Exactly. You know, living in Foster City is an example. I've I've knocked on a few doors over the the, the past fifteen years and, and discovered that they said, you know, Patrick, we can't get to there for forty five minutes. So you know, we right. drive. So I, I think some kind of a, a biking system or a, it's that last mile connection. Yeah, right? Absolutely, and and that's the type of thing. Trying to make that as convenient as possible is really the challenge, I think, to get people to to really use um, use mass transit. Well, I'm going to give you just a couple more minutes to brag about what you've done or, or something you want to see in the future for Menlo Park or the Peninsula. Just just say you had a magic wand and you had that opportunity to, to, to solve two problems right now. What two problems would you like to see solved? Well, I would say the... Um, as I look at this, one of the key things for me is I want to make Menlo Park a great place for my kids to live, work, and play. So, so this live, work, play concept is is something that we were we've been talking a lot about, which is the idea of making sure that first of all we have innovative jobs, that we have great places to. Uh, uh, to live, we have adequate housing at all the different price points, at all the different demographics, uh, whether it's rental housing as well as uh, our single-family housing infrastructure, um, and to be able to make sure that uh, uh, it's a great place to play, meaning whether it's vibrancy downtown with restaurants and uh, activities, um, great parks, um, the ability to safely bike across town and enjoy our different um, amenities in our in our city. All of that comes together. So, and in order to do that, the three challenges that we have to manage are what well, we two of which we've talked about at length, which is both uh, traffic and transportation. Um, uh, secondly, housing and affordable housing. And third is, in my opinion, um, education. We really do need to make sure we've got, we have, uh, one of the challenges we have in, in Menlo Park is we have five different school districts that serve the residents of Menlo Park. Um, and um, we have uh, three amazing school districts that are top rated. We have one that is um, not so uh, highly ranked. And so we have 20% of our residents who have a very um, less than um, 
I think, a, a great quality of education, and we've got to be able to address that. And that's been true for the last 50 years. When I grew up on the peninsula, it was still a challenge. Um, we have to be able to address that, and I think that's, while that's not normally part of a city council's, um, you know, area, um, we that's certainly something that I think with um, uh, with the you know this is the best of times to be able to address a vexing problem such as that. How do you how do you do that? So that's something that I'm hoping we can be able to work on as well. Um, and uh, I, uh, because we want to make sure that all of our residents have a have a quality uh, opportunity to for education and um, and want to make sure that uh, um, that that can happen you know sooner rather than later. Peter, on behalf of podcast by the Bay, we want to thank you for your time. We thank you for being a public servant and we thank you for your pioneering to make life better in Menlo Park and the San Mateo County. Thanks again for serving. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.